are your eyes set? What are your eyes set on? Is it set on all the teeny tiny little things that are going on in life, the different circumstances that you're paying attention to? Are, are, are your eyes set on heaven coming to earth? Are your eyes set on the gospel being proclaimed to the people that are around you, to, to the area of Clifton, to, to the coffee shop that I may go sit in, or the family members that I'm around? Where are your eyes set? You see, because as we were going through Joshua the first part of the year, we went through Joshua 1 all the way to Joshua 4. And so that was the part where Israel goes into the promised land. They leave the wilderness behind and God brings them in. He, he brings them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. This next part of Joshua, we're going to go through Joshua 5 all the way to Joshua 11. And this next part, it's, a, it's the conquest. It's the conquest of Israel. This is, this is the Israelites actually doing what God said they were going to do for so long. This is the fulfillment of God bringing them in and giving them the land. And so this whole idea, this whole, this whole series, it's centered around the fact that the Israelites, they had to have eyes that were set forward. They couldn't pay attention to, to all the things that they had struggled with, all the things that had happened in the past. They had to remember them. We're going to talk about that today. They couldn't, they couldn't set their eyes on what was behind them. Because if they did, they'd never see what was in front of them. They'd never see the promise that was in front of them, the hope that was in front of them, the love, the, the communion that was in front of them, the Father who was trying to walk with them. They would never see it because they're so focused on the past. They had to have eyes set forward. They had to have a heart set forward on what the Lord was doing, not the works, not, not the possession, but rather what God was doing, the way that he was with them. We are going to be focusing on what it means to have a eyes and a heart, a mind set forward, loving God with all that we are, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So, are you guys ready for that? Yeah? yeah? Good. I'm glad y'all are talking to me. I'm glad y'all are talking to me. So, we're going to read Joshua 5. We're going to read Joshua 5. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into it. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Joshua 5. Verse 1, it says, When all the Amorite kings crossing the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord told, or said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at uh, Gebeth. Haraloth. This is the reason Joshua, Joshua circumcised them. All of the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all of the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people who were born in the wilderness uh, along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died off because, don't miss this, because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised up their sons in their place. It was these Joshua circumcised, they they were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were uh, in the camp until they recovered. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, this place is called Gilgal today. When the Israelites camped at Gilgal over the plains, uh, on the plains of Jericho, 
They observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. The manna falling from heaven, it ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. And when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as the commander of the Lord's army. And then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove your sandals for the, <laughs> for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did just that. Father, I pray today that we can be filled and encouraged with what you are doing, the way that you're trying to work in our church, the way that you are trying to encourage our church. I pray that we can be a church that has eyes set forward starting today and moving forward, that our eyes are set on what you have called us to do and the grace that you have given us, the love that you have given us. Father, I pray that you soften our hearts to this message today. I pray that you, you soften our hearts to it and that you calm our souls so that we can receive it. Lord, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. So what happens? What happens in this chapter? Joshua, ex he experiences the Lord, and the Lord comes to him, and he explains to the Israelites, hey, we've got we to do this really, really difficult thing. This really difficult thing's got to happen. It's going to suck, but it'll be all right. We're going to talk about it, I promise. I'm going to make it as un not uncomfortable as possible, I promise. Trust me, I talked to some people about the fact that we were talking about circumcision this week, and they were like, whoa, I promise it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be great, I promise, okay? So Joshua talked to them about circumcision, and then they, then they celebrated the Passover, and then after that, Joshua's near Jericho. He's near Jericho. He's kind of scouting the land out, trying to see what they're about to encounter, what they're about to do, what they're about to have to take on. And then Jesus shows up. A lot of people debate on whether or not it was Jesus, but the response that Joshua had in that moment to where he fell face down on the ground, it shows that is Jesus. He would, not, he would not have done that to an angel. There's debate. Commentators believe that it was either an angel or it was Jesus. Joshua would not have bowed like that in front of an angel. He would have bowed like that to Jesus, the son of the Lord, alone. So Jesus, this is one of the few times that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up, and Joshua asks, he'd be like, hey, who are you, and why do you have your sword drawn? What are you doing? Like, you trying to square up or something? Like, what's going on? Like, are you for me or are you for somebody else? And he's like, I'm not for either of you. I'm for the Lord alone. I'm for the Lord alone. I'm not for you. I'm not for, I'm not for, I'm not for them. I'm not for you. I'm for the Lord alone. And see, it's a good reminder that we have to understand that Jesus came and he died on the cross to save us from our sins. But he did that to glorify the Lord. He wants, us to, he wants us to come in. He wants to set us apart. He wants to bring us into his communion. He wants to commission us. But he did it for his glory, not ours. He did not come and do that so that we could be glorified, but rather so that he could be. And so today I want you to understand one thing. This entire chapter, it's about Joshua telling the story of how God prepared the people to possess the land. You see, 
forward living, living in victory, this idea of, of having our eyes set forward, it starts with preparation. It starts with being prepared. And what I want our church to take away, I want the church to understand today that God prepared the Israelites in this moment over these couple of days that this happened, maybe weeks, two weeks tops. And in the same way, I need you to understand that Christ has prepared you. Through his death on the cross, Christ has prepared you the same way that God prepared the Israelites by setting them apart and bringing them near and commissioning them to go out. Christ has brought you near through his death on the cross and brought you into communion with the Father through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he has commissioned you through his command to go out and to share his gospel. How beautiful was that church that he has chosen you to do that. He has he loves you that much to do that. And so we're going to explore that as we go today. So we're going to start. We're going to start uh, in verse 1. We're going to talk about verse 1. It's not going to be on the screen behind me, uh, but I just want to kind of explain one part of it. So chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan uh, to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the water. They heard about the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan, how he parted, he, he raised up the water on one side, and all of Israel came through. That had just happened and story traveled fast. It's funny how whenever something really, really great happens, news travels fast. It's kind of like they had social media or something. It's like normally whenever something really, really good happens, you see it on social media, even when something bad happens. All you got to, you don't even have to go to the news anymore. You just go to social media and just like, what's everybody gossiping about? That's what you got to look at. And so they heard about how God did this for the Israelites. What does it say happened to them though? After they heard this, they lost heart. They lost their courage because of the Israelites, because of the Israelites' obedience to Yahweh, to the Father. They lost heart. All the other nations lost heart. What I need you to understand, church, God, had, God gave them victory in that moment. They had victory in that moment. But the reality is, is that they had to go out and actually live it. They had to go out and actually take the land, but God had already given it to them because the people, their courage, their heart, their ability, their confidence, all of it failed. They knew that they knew what was coming. But Israel couldn't just sit back and wait for the people to leave. No, they had to go out and actually do something. And it's so interesting because we have to do the same thing. You know, Jesus came, he died for our sin. He set us apart. He loves us. But it's so easy for us to chill in our office, our little cubicle. It's so easy for us to not get up from the coffee, the coffee shop table that we're sitting at. It's so easy for us to, well, I'll just pray for him and the Lord will work. It's so easy to sink back into that. But we have to understand that God has commissioned us with his gospel to go and share it among the nations so that everybody can know that Jesus Christ died for our sin and rose again to conquer death so that his kingdom could come. He's already given us victory. He's already given, he, he already claimed victory. Victory is already assured. It's just whether or not are you going to participate in it. Are you going to participate in it? That's the whole point to that first verse. You see, the interesting thing, I told you guys last week, I wanted to share this with you. I told you guys last week that I, want, I wanted to play football. That didn't really work out. I told you all that. That didn't really work out. I quit. Okay? Threw up on the field. I quit. Got embarrassed. So when I was in eighth grade, I tried out for the soccer team. But the truth is, I didn't want to try out for the soccer team. I did not want to try. I played soccer my whole life. I wanted to play soccer. 
uh, for the school, but it's kind of like, nah, I didn't really want to do it. I'd rather play my video games. I'd rather chill at home, play my PlayStation 3, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It was great. Sit, drink a Dr. Pepper, eat a whole pizza on the weekend. It was great. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want anybody to, to disrupt my time, okay? All my other friends, though, were trying out for the soccer team, and they convinced me. They convinced me to, to go and try out. The thing that's different about me from all my friends, I'm left-handed, and I'm left-footed. All my friends were right-handed and right-footed. And so if you know anything about soccer, you understand that anybody that's not right-footed the only other option is left-footed, if you had to take a guess for a second. Anybody that's not right-footed, they're left-footed, they have an advantage because they're able to switch the ball and they're able to, to, to play the ball on a different side that actually makes the right-footed person mess up. There's an advantage to being left-footed. And so immediately when I showed up to tryouts that day and they realized that I was left-footed, they were like, oh, this dude's on the team. I didn't even have to try. But I didn't even want to be on the team. I didn't want to be on the team. I was like, I literally did not try at tryouts, y'all. I promise you, I did not try. It was that ridiculous. Like, I was like, I don't want to do this, but whatever. So I just showed up, and I kicked the ball around, and I, I, I did what I had to do. And I made the soccer team, and none of my friends made the soccer team. It was great. So I was really out of my comfort zone at that point. And so I ended up playing defense, and I didn't want to play defense in the first place. I always played forward, uh, left forward, or midfield forward. Um, and so I didn't even play the position that I wanted to, so it really sucked. But um, listen, I, I like soccer. I watch soccer. You know how some people love to watch golf besides the Masters? Um, some people love to watch golf. I love to watch soccer. And everybody thinks that I'm weird, but I'm like, it's just fun to watch. Anyways, y'all are weird if y'all like to watch golf all the time. I can understand the Masters. The Masters is fun. I actually watched it this year. But watching soccer, I love it. It's kind of like if you like watching tennis. Does anybody here like watch? Does anybody watch tennis? Nick watches tennis. <laughs> it's great. Sorry, Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyways, I didn't try to make the team, but I was participating on the team. And I wasn't trying when I was going to practice. I didn't really care. Like, I wanted, I wanted to play soccer, but I didn't really care. It was just like this weird thing. I would have rather been home playing Xbox or playing PlayStation. At this point, I had an Xbox because Xbox is better. Um, <laughs> yep. So, anyways, this was Xbox 360, so it was definitely better. Um, but anyways, the same way that I didn't want to make the team is the same way that sometimes we can act whenever we've got the gospel in our heart. We don't want to go and proclaim, uh, proclaim it to people. We've got it. We've made the team. We've made the team. But are we going to actually participate? Are we going to actually take part in what we've been given, the invitation that we've been given to participate on this, on this heavenly team, this heavenly household that Jesus Christ has brought us into because of his death, his defeat of sin, his defeat of death? Joshua 5, verse 2, it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So, the jo so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gebeth Haraloth. Uh, this is the reason that Joshua circumcised them. So he's about to explain why they're doing all this. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, if that's not clear, all the men of war had died in the wilderness along the way uh, after they came out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they came out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt 
had died off because they did not obey the Lord. That's talking about Numbers 13, like we talked about last year. We spent a long time in Numbers. That little, that little snippet is talking about how when, jo- or when Moses sent spies, Joshua and Caleb, and then other men too, he, they sent spies into the promised land, and they didn't. They, they came back and they gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that actually believed that they could go. That's what that's talking about. The men did not lead. They did not lead the way, but rather they let fear consume them. They let fear consume them. And it says, it continues, it says, So the Lord vowed to never let them see the land that, it's, uh, that he had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. That just means full of what they needed to live, an abundance, really. So he raised up, God raised up their sons. The father raised up the sons of that generation, of that disobedient generation in their place. It was the Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. He really wants to drive that point home. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, this place is still called Gilgal today. This, this first section of Joshua, the whole idea, the whole preparation that God brings in, the preparation that Israel had to take part in before they could actually go out and, and step into the conquest, take the land. This part of preparation, of prepping them to live forward, to have an eyes and heart set forward, it's about consecrating them. We've talked about consecration before. It's about setting Israel apart from all the other nations. You see, the Israelite men, they had a choice. They had a choice on whether or not they were going to do this. And let's all be honest, it probably was a really, really painful choice. But let's be honest, y'all can laugh about it. It's all right. It's probably a painful choice. But they chose to be set apart. They chose for the Lord. They chose to be obedient to the Lord. You see that that whole act, that whole process, it's about Israel saying, hey, there is no other God that we want to worship. There's no other God we're going to be obedient to. There's no other God that we're going to serve. There's no other God that we're going to follow. There's nothing else other than Yahweh. And we're going to listen to him. We are his people, and we do not care what we may face. We do not care what uh, affliction or suffering or whatever comes our way. We do not care because we know that he is the Lord who made all things and spoke all things into existence and has provided for us along the way. He is the Lord. That is what that is. It's consecration. It's setting them apart. You see, the Israelite men in the generation past, they let fear consume them, and it separated them from their consecration. It separated them. They were no longer set apart because they were so focused on their fear. It consumed them, and the Lord wasn't consuming them anymore. But you see, when the Israelite men, whenever they, whenever they said, yes, we will submit to this and we will go through this process, no matter how crappy it may be, we will go through this process because we want to be obedient. What did it say about the fathers? It said that they were not obedient. And what did it say? It said that the Lord raised them up, not their fathers. Yeah, they may have been there physically talking to them and caring for them. But who raised up the men of this generation going into the promised land? the Lord. That's what made them be obedient. You see, whenever we submit to the Lord, whenever we're in communion with the Lord, that's the next part. Whenever we're living with the Lord in obedience, we understand that he fathers us. We understand that he has set us apart. He fathers us and he's walking with us. He's with us. Church, he's with you. He's fathering you. Jesus was the faithful son over his household that God entrusted to him. Hebrews talks about that. And he has brought you into that household, but the the end of the verse is the most interesting part. 
But you're only in that household if you actually are living by faith. It ain't got nothing to do with your works. You could go out and share the gospel with a thousand people and they could all respond to the gospel. And you could, someone else could go out and share the gospel with one person and they respond to the gospel. And you've got the same treasures stored up for you in heaven. It ain't about how much you do. It's about whether or not you're actually being with the Father, if you're being obedient. And what does that obedience bring them into? Verse 9, it said, the Lord, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. When the Israelites submitted in obedience to to the Lord, when the Israelites submitted in obedience to the Father and they said, hey, we're going to go through this, we're going to experience this because we know that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it brought them into his grace. It removed their past. It said, hey, the past doesn't matter anymore. All that I need you to focus on is moving forward. I need you to be focused on my grace because that's where you're dwelling now. You are dwelling in my grace because I have rolled away your disgrace. You see, it's the same thing. When Jesus rolled the stone away, what did he do? He rolled our disgrace away. He rolled our sin, our death, our, our debt. He rolled all of that away so that we could be brought into his household, into his kingdom, so that we could be brought into his grace, so we could be brought into his mercy, his compassion, his love, his kindness. But it starts with obedience. It starts with, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate. I, I've, I've been prepared. Christ has prepared me, and I'm going to participate in that. I'm going to submit to that. And you see, whenever we live in that grace, whenever we're participating in that grace, what happens in this next part happens for us. It says, while the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Remember, the Lord provided manna raining from heaven so that they would have something to eat in the wilderness. That that did not cease until they had gotten to this point. That's been happening in all of Numbers, all of Deuteronomy, all, all of that, okay? It did not cease until this moment, until they ate from the produce of the land. Uh, the d- and the day after that, they ate the produce of the land and the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. You see, this whole portion, this whole idea of them participating in the Passover, it's still remembering their past, the way that they were in slavery, the way that they were in bondage, the way that they were sinful people, the way that they were in disgrace because of their father's disobedience. But it's also them saying, hey, but God has done this. He has brought us in. He's, he's allowed us to draw near. What was, what was the thing that we were focusing on as a church this year? Drawing near. You see, whenever we are in his grace, he brings us near him. He draws us near him through the power of his Holy Spirit that he's given us. And what does it allow us to do? It allows us to commune with the Father. You see, when they celebrated the Passover, it was a ritual for them. It was kind of like the Lord's Supper for us. It was a way for them to remember what God had done, but also look forward to how he was going to continue to work. It was an act of communion, being with the Father, remembering how he's working in our life, but also moving forward. You see, when we have to, we have to be in constant communion with the Father. I don't mean taking this every single day. You're not supposed to take it without the body. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to partake in this un, un, unless you're with the body. So don't, don't think about communion that way. I want you to think about communion in the sense of, hey, are you reading this? Are you consuming this? But even more, are you letting it consume you? Are you letting this word consume you and change you? Are you living in the victory 
that the Lord has given you? Do you understand that the whole world has lost heart and lost their courage? Do you understand that? That's why there's so many problems. People are trying to replace their heart and their courage with other things. They're finding their heart and their courage in other things, other people. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to find our heart and our courage. For me, I found my heart and how good I could play video games. I know that's silly, but that was it for me. I had been wounded by relationships in the past, and so I said, I'm done with relationships. I'm just going to play video games and be by myself. It's so easy to isolate ourselves, to try to find our courage and our heart in other things. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was this, that, or the other, cigarettes, anything that allows you to numb how you're feeling, numb your emotions, numb who you are so that you don't have to deal with it. Video games did that for me. Lust did that for me. But see, what I was doing in that past is I was living in my disgrace. But when I met Jesus, I was brought out of my disgrace and into his grace because he rolled the stone away and he was inviting me into communion with him. And as I began to consume his word, I began to realize how broken I was and how great Jesus was. That's the purpose of this scripture, for us to realize, hey, how broken are we and how great is he? Consider that. How broken are we and how great is he? I'm not just trying to rhyme. I'm not, I'm not Eminem. I'm not NF. Like, I ain't trying to rhyme like that. I'm just saying, how broken are we? How sinful are we? But yet Jesus still chose to come and die on the cross for us. Not, not so that we could be glorified, but so that he would be. Because the ultimate reality is that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to reclaim the earth. He's, he's already defeated it, but he's going to come back, and he wants us to be there with him. We will rise and be with him. But again, he's gonna, he, there's going to be judgment one day. And he's either going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart, me, depart from me, I never knew you. And it starts with, hey, are you, do you understand that Christ has prepared you and he's commissioned you? Do you understand that he has brought you into close communion? Are you living in that? Are you living with a heart set forward? Or are you living so, so consumed by your past, all the things that you've done, that you continue to run into it? You continue to lock yourself in a room? Are, are you living in that, or are you living with the heart set forward saying, God, I know where I was, but I know where I'm going because of your grace. I know where I've been. I know what I've gone through. I know, I know the problems and the emotions that I deal with. I know the struggles that I have, but I know that your grace is sufficient for me. The same way Paul said. When Paul was in uh, when trials, when he was in jail, when he was being beaten, there's a whole section of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where he goes through and he lists every single thing because he's just trying to flex on the Corinthians to let them know, hey, I've been through it all. You, you, ain't, got, you ain't got nothing on me. But yet Jesus is still my priority. Jesus is still my priority. He's the only thing I care about. Because Paul understood that Christ had prepared him and commissioned him. He understood that Christ wanted him to live forward and not backward. Think about Paul murdered people. Straight up had him murdered. And he didn't give two licks. He says, I don't care about my past. I care about Christ because he has come and he has risen. He didn't give two licks about it. He didn't give two licks about it, y'all. God wants us to commune with him. Paul had communion with him. Paul knew this scripture inside and out. He flexed on a lot of people about it. For real. He really did. We're going we're gonna to talk about it eventually. 
He, God wants us to commune with him, church. Because when we commune with him, we can start to see his providence in our life. When they ate from the, from the fruit of the land, that was God confirming his providence. That he was going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. That was him confirming the promise that he made to Abraham. The one who had his eyes and heart set forward on the city that had foundations, who architect and builder was God. That was God confirming, hey, I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I just need you to be obedient. I just need you to participate. I just need you to listen. I just need you to draw near. I've already done it, but I just need you to draw near. That's right, Maisie. In verse 13, it says, when Joshua was near Jericho, why would Joshua have been near Jericho when he was just at the camp? Why would Joshua have gone to Jericho? Why would They've just done this really, really crazy thing. They, they circumcised all the guys. They set them apart. They consecrated all the guys, and then they just had Passover. But Joshua was like, all right, I'm going to go scout out Jericho because i got to know how I'm going to be able to do this. you got to remember, Joshua's a military leader. He needed to know, he needed to develop a strategy to understand, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I need this many men to go here and this many men to go there. I need to surround it on this side. I need to block off this gate. I need to block off this river so that they don't have water. I need to be able to make sure that they don't have any food. Joshua's trying to figure all this stuff out. He's trying to do what? Control it. Because he's a military leader and that's what they do. He's living in his instincts. But what happens? He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. I don't know about y'all, but if I saw a man with a drawn sword in front of me, I ain't going towards him. I'm running away from him. I'm going backwards. I ain't, it ain't happening. Joshua approached him, wild, and asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua didn't understand. He didn't recognize this man right away. He did not recognize him right away. He did not know who he was. And the man says, Jesus says, neither. Neither. I have now come as the commander of the Lord's ar- army. Then Joshua bowed with, with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does the Lord want to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. What happened in this moment? Jesus showed up and humbled Joshua. Jesus showed up after they've been set apart and after they've communed with him to humble Joshua and to help him understand, hey, you're not the one that's going to do this. I've already done it, and I'm already doing it. I just need you to participate. You're not, your plan, your, your mind, your instincts, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. You see, it's so interesting. We get so caught up in maybe the talents that we have. Like, I get so caught up in my artistic eye sometimes that it can overwhelm people or it can bother people. And so I have to learn to back off and say, all right, it ain't about that. It's about the gospel. I got to learn how to do that. It, the, the Holy Spirit convicts me of that. Or sometimes I can, I, can, uh, I can get worked up and be like, yeah, I'm the best at, I'm the best at video games. Like I'm about to wax everybody when we have this men's night. You better bet, Cole. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I ain't playing Madden. I ain't going to be able to do that. But we play like Super Smash Bros. or something like that, it's going to happen. So Mario Kart, I'll beat every single one of y'all on Mario Kart. We'd we do it right now. I promise. It's like sometimes I get caught up in my pride, though. Sometimes I get prod- caught up in, in all that I am, and the Lord has to remind me, hey, through my communion with him and through my understanding of, hey, I've been set apart by his grace, he has to remind me, hey, you need to be humble. You need to, you need to quit it with your pride. You need to quit it with you believing that you're the best at everything. Bless you. You need to quit it with that. You need to quit it with that. 
And you need to let pride, you need to let all that pride go away. Because you're just as broken as the person sitting next to you. We are all just as broken as, as the person sitting next to us right now. You need to quit it. That's literally what the Holy Spirit says to me. Like, you need to quit it, dude. Chill. Like, be humble. Who is it that sings that song? Kendrick Lamar. Like, be humble. Some of y'all, y'all probably like, I don't know who Kendrick Lamar is. Don't listen to his music. Don't listen to his music. I promise, don't listen to his music. I hadn't listened to that music since I was in, like, 12th grade. I think. (laughs) I think. Anyway, the Lord wants us to know that we need to be humble. When we spend time in communion with him and we understand that we've been set apart by Jesus, he reminds us, hey, I'm the one doing it. I'm the one leading the way. I'm the one taking care of it all. I just need you to participate. Outside of Jesus, who's one of the best examples for this? Paul. When Jesus showed up on the Damascus road and said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did Paul do? What did Saul do? He fell to his face and said, Lord, what are you asking of me? He did the exact same thing that Joshua did. You want to know why? More than likely, he, he knew in that moment what was happening, and he's like, oh, freak. Oh, freak. Like, this is happening. Like, Jesus just showed up right in front of me. Like, I got to spread out on the ground. Like, that's exactly what happened. Paul said, I don't know what's happening. Like, I just lost my eyesight. I don't know who's in front of me, but I guess it's Jesus because he just said that he's Jesus. And so I'm going to respond, and I'm going to go to this place, and I'm going to I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray. Paul fasted for three days and he prayed for three days. He didn't eat. He didn't speak. He didn't see. He probably didn't even want to be around anybody because he didn't know what just happened. But then his sight was restored by Ananias coming to him and saying, hey, Jesus sent me because he wants to use you. He, he, he wants to use you to go to the Gentiles and proclaim the message. Praise God that Paul did, because praise God, praise God Paul did, because we wouldn't have heard the gospel. If it had just belonged to the Jews, we would have probably never heard it. But praise God that Paul participated. Paul understood that Jesus died and rose and ascended and is going to come back. That the creator of all things decided that he was going to come to his creation and live with it, in a sinful world, and allow sin to be all around him, and to teach the people who are sinful and broken. Praise God that our creator of all things, with his, with his mouth, his voice, spoke all things into existence, decided to do that, and then decided to take nails through his hands, nails through his feet, to hang upon a wooden cross and die for us, and rise from the grave. Praise God that he did that, because we get to participate, we get to have communion, we get to be set apart, We get to be humbled and participate in what God is doing in the world. And when he comes back, we will get to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will get to participate in that. Praise God. Church, I need you to understand that the same way, it's not going to be on the screen behind me, but in verse 9 it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. I need you to understand, Jesus has rolled away. Jesus has rolled away your disgrace. Your past is gone. If you are in Christ, if you are living in the confidence of Christ, your past is gone. I'm not saying that it didn't exist. I'm just saying that it it doesn't have hold of you anymore. It does not have hold of you anymore. The only thing that has hold of you is his grace. 
The only thing that is with you is his grace. The only thing that is around you is his Holy Spirit. The only thing that is walking with you is his Holy Spirit because he promised it to you. If you have, if you have died to yourself and rise into a new life with Christ, then the only thing that's with you is his Holy Spirit. And we need to start acting like that's true. We got to start acting like, hey, Jesus died for me. I'm going to live forward for him. I'm not going to live forward for me. I'm not going to let my past uh, strap me down to a table and keep me captive for the rest of my life. I'm going to understand that he has broken that bondage and I'm going to live for him. I am set apart and I have communion with the Father because he came and he died with me and he has humbled me to the point of me dying to myself and living for other people. That is what we are going to be talking about this week or in this series. That living forward is about us understanding that Christ has prepared us. He has prepared us, church. He has prepared you. He's prepared you. But I have to ask you the question. Does your life reflect it? Does your life right now reflect that Christ has prepared you? I'm not saying you got to be perfect. Because preparation is a process, right? Remember how I said I tried out for the soccer team? It was a process every single time leading up to a game. I'd show up to practice. We would run laps. We would run drills. We would have a scrimmage. We'd run one more time. And we'd huddle up. And then we would leave. And that was the preparation process every single time. And the thing is, is that as we prepared in that way, not only were we preparing our skills, our body to be able to play a game, but we were also growing closer as a team. Remember how I said I didn't ha- none of my friends made the team? All of those people on that team eventually became my friends. All those people eventually became my friends. And I actually grew a little distant with some of the people that I was friends with in eighth grade mainly because we went to a high school and it was a lot more people, but also because I was spending more time with the people that I was on the team with. And when it came to be game time, I wasn't upset if maybe I wasn't participating, but this other person was. I wasn't upset if one person scored a goal and I didn't. Because what I understood is that I was a part of a team and every single position had a purpose to be able to protect the goal, to, but to also to score. Man, it's beautiful because I need you to understand, whenever we, whenever we come to know Jesus, we're brought into his household. And when we are brought into his household, we have new, new family members. We have new friends. You have a friend in the Father. You have a friend in Jesus. I used to not like when people said I had a friend in Jesus, but I've come to understand it. That he is my friend, and he does want to commune with me, and he does want me to be with him. But it starts with me understanding, hey, Christ has prepared me. But I also need to understand how he's prepared me. And I ask you the question, does your life reflect it? Well, what does it look like for your life to reflect preparation? The preparation of Christ. The first is, do you know him? And I don't mean, do you know this? I'm not saying that you know Bible verses and you can quote them at, like you can pull out your debit cards or whatever, something. I'm not saying that you can just quote scripture and throw it at people. I'm saying if you open this up and you read Ezra chapter 1, because that's what I just opened to, if you read that, you could read it and say, this is why this was recorded and this is what the Father was doing in this moment. 
this is the character of the father that's being revealed to me, and this is what he's trying to speak to me. I'm not saying a whisper in his voice, but you can identify the character of the father when you read this, and his character changes your character. Knowing Christ is letting Christ's character change your character. It's called sanctification. It's called being consecrated. It's called being set apart because you're communing with him. And so do you know him? The next thing is, are you spending time with him? What does your prayer life look like? When is the last time you hit your knees and you prayed for something? When's the last time you took 10 minutes and you prayed for something? You prayed for your family. You prayed for your children. Some of you are probably like, Grayson, stop listing stuff. You're giving me anxiety. No, that's, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Because the Holy Spirit convicted me of that a couple months ago. And so that's something that I've been growing in is prayer. That's why we're going to talk about it all summer. Because I believe we as a church need to grow in it. What's your prayer life like? What's your scripture time like? Is it opening up the scripture and doing what I just said? Reading a psalm or reading from the New Testament, Old Testament, looking for the Father's character and praying that that character that you see in him will change you? Or is it opening up your, bo- your phone, going to the Bible app and reading the verse of the day? Verse of the day is good. It's got great purpose. But one verse pretty limiting. It can still pierce your heart. The scripture is a double-edged sword, and it has the ability to pierce your heart. But you're limiting your ability to be able to see the Father's character if that's all you're doing. Communing with the Father, it's taking time to say, God, I am nothing, and you are everything, and I just need you to change me. You need to understand that Christ has prepared you, church. And we do that through communion with him, with him. And when we commune with him, he humbles us. He commissions us. You see, when Jesus commissioned the disciples, yes, he was giving them a command. He was giving them a command, but he was also putting their hearts in check to make sure that they understand that they're not doing it for them. Who did he say to baptize them in the name of? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say to baptize them in the name of Peter. He didn't say to do it in the name of John. He said to do it in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was humbling them, to, helping them understand that their mission was not about them, but it was about the Father. It was about His glory and not their own. When we on a soccer team scored a goal, I understood that that goal was not for Grayson. It was for the whole team. It was, it was for White Knoll High School because we wanted to play our best for our school because we wanted to represent our school. How are you representing the Father? How are you representing the Father around you? Christ has prepared you, but are you living forward? Are you living with your eyes set forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, moving in this way, encouraging us, helping us understand that your death on the cross, that your, the way you rolled the stone away prepared us to be here today, to be commissioned and sent out, to be humbled and brought in close through your communion. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that, I, that you let us draw near to you. Thank you that you want us to draw near to you, that you desire it. Lord, I pray that in this time of reflection in this time of prayer that we're able to reflect on the fact 
that you have saved us, that you have set us apart, that you have brought us into communion with you. Father, praise God, praise you that you have done that for us. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.